0: If you want to join me again back in 1st Corinthians chapter 12, tonight we are going to endeavor to look at uh, kind of three, the next three in our list here in 1st Corinthians 12 of these Gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, again from verse 7, they're described that way the manifestation of the Spirit giving to each one for the profit of all. Again, and we said last time the idea there, that term manifestations of the Spirit, that these are things uh, that the Holy Spirit does in the midst of God's people and through God's people, in a sense, to manifest, to reveal. That he is present among us and that he is working in our midst and at times, therefore, he will operate in these ways through these gifts or manifestations that we refer to uh, sort of in that capacity. So uh, tonight we want to look at this uh, aspect of verses 9 through the beginning of verse 10. If you look with me there, he mentions to another faith by the same spirit and then to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. And then the beginning of verse 10, to another the working of miracles. Now, uh, these three gifts here, I I think they sort of interface well together and that's why I want to try this evening to kind of take them together in one study session together. In In fact, Oftentimes, not always, and I emphasize that, but oftentimes, we see these three gifts and manifestations of the Spirit sort of functioning in combination with one another. Uh, we see patterns of this throughout the Word of God at the same time as God is moving many times the gift of faith and the working of miracles are happening simultaneously. So we see this pattern and these gifts working in conjunction, specific circumstances operating simultaneously So because they kind of interface well together, we're going to try and look at them as a triplet together. The first one being mentioned there in verse 9, Paul says to another, faith, the manifestation of the Spirit, this gift of faith is given by the Holy Spirit. Now, faith, I guess, could be defined in essence as confidence or trust or belief In something that is true or in something that will come to pass. Now whether that is of spiritual things or whether that's just in everyday aspects, the reality is is everybody on this planet has the capacity to exercise faith. God has created us uniquely, he's created us differently, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, Uh, we don't all have the same capacities, but there is one very clear universal capacity that God has given to every human being, and that is the ability to exercise faith. Uh, In fact, it would not be fair, it would be impartial and unjust of God if he did not give that capacity to everyone, because that is the way whereby we are saved. So we know that God has given to every person a capacity of faith. Romans 12 even says specifically, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we've been created with this capacity to be able to believe, to exercise faith, and even unsaved people. I did before I was a Christian. People who still don't follow Jesus Christ or know him yet. Uh, unsaved people exercise and use faith in everyday life activities. For example, most people uh, don't understand all the intricacies and workings of exactly how an automobile engine works Uh, but every day probably by faith they take their little key and they stick it in the thing they know is called the ignition and they turn the ignition and they believe that that car is going to work. Uh, now, whether they understand exactly how it works and all the different little pieces of metal and the sparks and all that kind of stuff happens, that doesn't have anything to do, their understanding isn't required for them to believe that when I turn this key, because that's what, I, believe the car's start and I believe the car is going to start, I believe the car that's exercising faith is believing something is going to transpire and choosing to act upon what you believe. Same thing when people flip on a light switch with electricity i don't understand exactly how everything works with electrical systems but i believe when i flip that switch that the lights are going to turn on you all exercise faith this evening as you came into this room and we sang for three songs standing up and then i just said to you you may be seated and you believed that that brown cushion thing that you're now sitting on was going to hold up the girth of your weight so that you weren't embarrassed in front of everyone else in the room, right? You exercised faith that that was going to support you, and you, you just sat on it. I didn't see anybody looking underneath, checking it, you know, feeling it, saying, hey, are there specs on this thing or something? You just, by faith, exercised your confidence that that was going to support you. So we have the capacity to believe and exercise faith. We all do it in everyday life. Again, cashing a check, you go there with a piece of paper, it's got an amount, and it's got your employer's signature on it, and you believe... That when you hand that piece of paper to the teller, that they're going to actually give you money in return. And so again, we exercise faith in many different ways. And the only reason any of us are saved tonight if we know Jesus Christ is because possessing that measure of faith, we then chose to exercise that faith, that capacity to believe in the person of Jesus Christ as the only person who could save us from our sins and spare us from going to hell because of what he did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. That, no doubt, is why God chose this means for us to receive salvation. That is why God chose faith to be the way whereby our sins could be forgiven, that we could have access into heaven and have a relationship with the God because we all have that capacity That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, even faith itself. It's a gift of God that he's given each one of us a measure of faith to be able to receive salvation so that it is not of works. So in light of that, we might call what I'm describing right now saving faith. Uh, And and saving faith basically is exercising a measure of faith that God's given to each of us to trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior for our personal sin. As we talked about Sunday morning, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart God's raised Him from the dead, the Bible says that we may be saved. So there is saving faith. Now, after we exercise saving faith and we become a follower of Jesus and we then walk with the Lord in a relationship... We then exercise what I think you could quantify as continuing faith. That is, we continue to walk by faith in the promises of God's Word as we read them and as we grow as a Christian. Continuing faith is a faith that continues to trust the promises of God as we learn them and the truths of his word of how we're to live according to God's will. And continuing faith is the kind of faith that then increases and grows. And we exercise saving faith to get saved, but then there's a continuing faith whereby like the exercising of a muscle that develops and gets stronger as we exercise that muscle, Continuing faith, like a muscle, it grows, and, and we should be growing and increasing in our faith. We should have a, a, a greater capacity, in a sense, to trust the Lord in greater ways now than hopefully we did six months ago or a year ago or when we became a christian i hope this evening if you're growing in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ and faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god that you are growing and you have a continuing growing faith and a greater faith now to trust and have confidence in the lord and his promises than you did before so we have saving faith and continuing faith and now here in first corinthians 12 we have something uniquely different another kind of faith That's not universal saving faith or just growing in our faith and becoming a person of great faith as a Christian, but classified here under these supernatural operations and manifestations of the Spirit, we have this reference to what we often might allude to as the gift of faith. This gift of the Spirit of God whereby there's an exercise of faith in a supernatural way because of something the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I think we might, in a sense, say the gift of faith, as we'll look at it here, is basically a, a, a spontaneous time or spontaneous occasion where God, by His Spirit's work within us, sort of imparts to us a special measure of faith or confidence, a supernatural confidence to pursue and obey God's will in a given situation so that we can experience the power of God in some situation so so this is something that happens on occasion again it's not just somebody who tends to have great faith that's 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 a whole separate that's not what's being described here but specific times when the spirit of God supernaturally imparts just like he does a word of knowledge or maybe a word of wisdom a supernatural impartation at specific occasions whereby an unusual measure of faith is given to a child of God to believe God to do something in a given situation or circumstance. Uh, One man said it's the ability to discern God's will and pursue it with extraordinary confidence to lay hold of God's promise and remarkable results. You could say it's a spirit imparted confidence or a spirit imparted assurance that God is going to do something. And he's going to do something remarkable. He's going to do something really powerful. It's a spirit given ability to kind of see something that God wants done and then have an unwavering confidence to really trust and believe that he would do it. So again, it's as if the spirit births In your heart, yes, you already have faith, you've trusted Jesus, yes, you're growing in your faith, but there's a situation or a circumstance that's arisen or maybe God wants to work or move in some powerful way and because of that, he has to impart to me or impart to you an unusual supernatural measure of faith to believe him to experience the power of God in that particular situation. And when a person moves responsibly in this gift of faith, they then can pursue the command of God really with no worry or reservation. There's just this unusual sense of confidence, a deep certainty of God's provision and power that he is going to perform what is necessary no matter what the circumstances. In essence, I think you could say it's not believing God can it's believing God will. It's that kind of confidence. Not just I believe God can. It's a supernatural, you know, unusual measure of faith in the moment to believe. Not that I don't just believe God can. I believe God will. And therefore, I'm going to act upon this situation because I believe confidently that not just God can, but God will. That God's going to do that in this situation where we see mountains moved and miracles happen and just incredible things where God works in unusual ways on occasion in our lives and through our lives. Jesus in Matthew 17 said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Uh, Mark chapter 11 Jesus said have faith in God for surely I say to you whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea that's a little unusual isn't it be removed Jesus says whoever says that and does not doubt in his heart but believes in those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So again, we see these continuous patterns throughout the word of God, even Jesus exhorting us that God honors faith. And because God honors faith and God works through the avenue of faith, there are times when God wants to work in an unusual way. To heal, to do a miracle, to, to work in some mighty way where God gives us faith beyond the normal capacity of faith that we already have in our heart. And God knows that unless I give you an unusual, remarkable measure of faith, there, there's no way that you would trust me for that. So God, seeing that, graciously deposits this faith for us to believe with him in that unusual confidence. So we see again some instances of this. We want to look at them here in the scripture. And again, oftentimes, take note as we look at a couple of these, you'll see multiple gifts working in conjunction. So as we look at the gift of faith, many times we'll see together with it the gift of uh, miracles and, and healings and so forth taking place at the same time. One of the times I think we see someone operating in this gift of faith uh, is in 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah, the prophet, uh, let me read you 1 Kings 17.1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite said to King Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these three years except at my word. Now, King Ahab was the one of the most wicked pagan dangerous ungodly rulers that had ever existed in the time of of Israel's history and Elijah the prophet in essence I mean again keep in mind this would be like you know, rushing through the courtyard of the White House thinking that nothing's going to happen to you and without important you know, appointment just breaking open the doors to where the, you know, the president of the United States is and just walking in and feeling that you have the right and privilege to deliver a message that you want to share. I mean, this was a very risky thing to walk right into the presence of King Ahab who could have put him to death in an instant and not only does he have the courage and the confidence that he is safe to walk into his presence. But on top of that, he then says to the king, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, I don't care who you are, I'm standing before God, the idea is here. And he says, there's not going to be dew or rain for three years, except at my word. Now, keep in mind what this guy just did. Highly educated weather forecasters, can't predict the weather for a day it seems sometimes and elijah walks into the presence of this king and has a measure of faith in his heart that he says this is going to be the forecast by god's decree for the next three years and he has a measure of faith in his heart to believe with confidence that he is so certain that he has heard from God and that God is going to do this, that he proclaims it on God's behalf and has the corresponding faith to stand there confidently without threat of his life and to believe that God was going to do this. And of course, we know historically that's exactly what God did. Now, Elijah, in just the next chapter, in chapter 18, as one man, we know the story, singularly does what? He challenges, remember, the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, look, here's how we're going to do this. You say that your gods are real. I'm telling you I serve the one true and living God. Let's both build altars. And he says, here's what we'll do. Whoever's God answers by fire. That's the real God. So, they build their altar, you know, and, and they start going through all their incantations and this and that, and and, and, he, and nothing's happening. And then he starts to mock them, if you remember. He starts to, you know, he's one against four, and he starts to mock them. Well, maybe your God's busy, maybe he's taking a nap, and maybe he took a little vacation, you should have checked his calendar and day timer, and maybe he's just out of town right now or occupied with another, you know, phone line or something, and, and he says... Let me build my altar. Then he builds his altar, and then he starts doing unusual things, remember? It says he douses his altar with water. Well, usually water and fire don't go real well together. So he's doing everything to make it impossible other than an absolute miracle happens, and then he cries out to God in such confidence that he believes that God is going to rain down fire from heaven on his and wet sacrifice And consume the altar and he's going to show up and manifest his power in the midst of all those people and and I'll tell you this I think it took a pretty supernatural measure of faith to be that confident in front of all those prophets in public to say I'm praying for this and God's going to do it and he's not just going to do it he's going to do it right now Right now in this instance, that's a a supernatural measure of faith going on in someone's heart. I think you see this gift of faith in operation in Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where there they are facing a a threat of their life. They're told they're going to be tossed into the fiery furnace because they won't bow down uh, to the pagan king's decrees and worship other gods. And they take a bold stand for God at the threat of their own life and trust that God will come through and deliver them and work on their behalf no matter how he does it. Now, they don't know how God's going to work, but they have an incredible measure of faith that they're willing at the risk of their own life. And listen, I don't care who you are. I don't look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Ben and go, hey, those are just guys that had some, you know, they had some real courage. You know, they, they must have been, they must have come from a gang or they must have been part of the Italian mafia. These were just hard, these were UFC guys. You know, that's why they could stand there and say, hey, whatever... You know, you know when I had that kind of courage? Because there was a supernatural measure of faith put in their hearts. If somebody puts a sword to your throat, don't tell me in your own in your own courage. It, it, our desires for self-preservation are extremely strong. But God knows that they needed a supernatural measure of faith to stand confidently. To honor God on their behalf, even at the risk of whatever would happen to their own lives, that they said as a testimony to God, listen, our God will deliver us. And if he doesn't, then, then we'll see fit to accept whatever he does. And they, they confidently trust God. Daniel, same thing with chapter 6, when he gets thrown into the lion's den and trusts that God will take care of him, and God does. I think another example that this is incredible, if you turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 14, We see some of these occasions in the New Testament. Matthew 14, we find Jesus calming the storm, remember, with the disciples. And in Matthew's account of this storm, in the 14th chapter, you remember something unique happens in Matthew's account. As Jesus comes walking out onto the water to the disciples, Matthew 14, verse 20, let's look at verse 27, Jesus speaks to them and says, Be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid. And then Peter (laughs) says to him, Lord, if that's really you standing out there on the water in the middle of that stormy sea that we're terrified by, if that's really you, then he says, command me, to come to you on the water. In other words, you're standing on the water. If that's you, Peter just throws it, then, then tell me to come to you, to walk to you out on the water. And Jesus says to him, Come. And I, I wonder if Peter thought, Oh, I thought I should have thought, should have thought before I offered that idea. Just, boy, there we go again. You know, brain in neutral, you know, mouth in gear. And oh, what did I say that for? Because then Jesus called him out. All right, come on. <laughs> it's me. Come on out here then. You want to come out here? Come on out here. And look what it says, verse 29. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And then when he saw the wind was boisterous, he became afraid, that's unbelief, and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. So a lot of times we focus on the fact that Peter sank. Why don't we realize the fact that when was the last time you or anyone you know got out of a boat in a storm and walked on water? That's called a supernatural impartation of faith that Peter stepped out of the boat and believed in his heart Jesus said it and Jesus will do it and he will miraculously somehow sustain me to do this which is completely unusual and miraculous but the power of God will work not it can work, it will work and he gets right out of that boat and he walks on the water. There was a supernatural measure of faith that was taking place in his heart that he acted upon look at Acts chapter 3 here's an example in the early church where I think this gift of faith was at work we see it numerous times we'll just point out one because we need to kind of keep moving along here Acts chapter 3 is the time when Peter and John are on their way up to the temple at the hour of prayer, around 3 p.m., and it says that there was a certain man there who was lame, he was crippled from his mother's womb, and they used to carry him there every day and lay him at the gate of the temple, and he used to ask alms from those who came in, hoping that they would be compassionate as they were on the way into the house of God. Verse 3 says, as Peter was walking by that day, no doubt these men saw each other many times, day after day, but on this day, Verse 3, it says, "Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he did what he usually did. Hey, can I get a few alms? Verse 3. Then verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him, John, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He thought, hey, these guys are going to give me a few dollars and be compassionate to me in my condition. And Peter said, verse 6, silver and gold i do not have but what i do have i give you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth he tells a crippled man rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength obviously here's the gift of healing taking place a gift of healing coming from god so he leaping up verse eight and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it had been that man who sat there crippled every day. Now, here's where I say this is the gift of faith. Peter looks at this man who's been crippled from birth and he says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's bold. But here's what's more bold. Then he reaches and takes his hand and lifts him up. Now listen, do you know how embarrassing and discompassionate that would be if you reached down and took a lame man and tried to lift him up publicly because you thought God was going to heal him and you lifted him up and then you know, dropped him back down? I mean, that would be utterly cruel, wouldn't it? It would be degrading and humiliating and embarrassing. But Peter had the gift of faith working in his heart and of course, the gifts of healings was was in combination working with this and God gave him a supernatural measure of faith in that very moment to believe God wants to heal this man and I'm going to act upon it in faith and he believed in remarkable boldness and confidence that God was going to do it. And he trusted. I mean, that, that takes faith to act in that way and to believe that God is going to, you know, honor your faith and he's going to, in conjunction, bring his power And his provision. We see Paul doing the same thing in Acts chapter 14, where he commands a man in Lystra, same thing, to get up who had been crippled. Again, the person operating in this gift has a deep inner conviction that God is wanting to work powerfully. And there's just the sense within a stirring that God wants to work and they believe absolutely that he will do such regardless of circumstances. Again, this isn't just having a vast reservoir of faith and always having great faith in situations. These are unique, specific circumstances when God imparts and stirs a heart with a measure of faith so that that faith can work in conjunction with his power in that situation. Certain times God can give us the faith to do something, hear me, that we otherwise might not have the faith to do. So there may be times in your life as a Christian when God wants to work in this way through your life by His Spirit's ministry, where you might not otherwise have the faith to do that or to do something, but God will give you the faith in that very hour or circumstance or situation to believe Him to do something and to trust that He will come to pass. And if He does, let me encourage you, move in that faith. And let the power of God work as God stirred your heart to believe that it would. Now, in conjunction with that, if God has not given you the faith, don't be presumptuous in the flesh. And we have to be careful. Again, this is not something you can just tap into at will when you want. This is something when the Spirit of God moves in your heart in that way. If God wants you to take a bold step of faith in doing something, He will give you the corresponding faith you need in that situation and in that very hour. But if you don't sense that you have that faith from God to move in some area spiritually, I caution you, don't try and work it up. Don't try and create it. And, and Again, this is not about stirring up faith within and getting all worked up through you know, an emotional frenzy that somehow we can, we can work up the faith to, to believe that God's going to do something. So that's what we've got to do. We've got we to work up our faith because if we work up our faith somehow, that you know, th- that's not what this is describing here. Th- that's not what this is indicating as if somehow we can muster up or build up a greater connection to God by working ourselves up into some emotional frenzy, we're we're working up a we're working up a, a, a greater connection to God as we as, as we get a greater connection to God going somehow, then all of a sudden we're gonna we're gonna experience the deeper power of God or a deeper spiritual experience. Listen, be careful of that. I, I don't find that in scripture. As if somehow, you know, you know, if we get more excited or more emotional or, or louder or more worked up in some way in our prayers or our behavior or activity, that somehow as we get more worked up and more emotional that God gets more responsive? Listen, that, that almost sounds like we're channeling something. It's not a pep rally. And and, and God doesn't require that we get all worked up, as as if somehow as we get more worked up, we get into a deeper connection, and I would just say, be careful of that. I think it is a common thing, and I see it in the church and among Christians at times, where people perceive that hyper-emotionalism is an indication that the Spirit's moving. And we see this, where people, they just connect, they think that hyperemotionalism is the indication that the Spirit's really moving. And I don't see that in the Bible. God will always work powerfully, but God also works orderly. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not losing control, not getting out of control. God manifests his spirit in the picture of a dove, harmonious, beautiful, you know Jesus you know was was gentle, he was meek i don 't see Jesus getting all worked up in a frenzy. I see Jesus just moving in the authority of the Lord it, it, so just again, this isn 't working up faith, this is a measure of faith that God gives in a given moment. Well, come back with me to first Corinthians twelve and let 's look at this other gift or manifestation of the spirit. He begins to describe these last two. 1 Corinthians 12 and the second half of verse 9. He mentions to another by faith the same spirit. And then verse 9, he goes on to say to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. Again, gifts of healings. Now, I believe and I'll be very certain to say that God has the capacity to heal whoever whenever and however he wants. It is unmistakable in the word of God that God reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. Psalm 103, the Lord who heals our diseases. God reveals himself all throughout the Bible as a God who heals sickness and disease one of the main aspects of Jesus' public ministry as god in the flesh is that jesus went around healing all manner of sickness and disease so our god is a god who heals and i don't think god has limited therefore when and how he might perform that for such people I, i don't see why god would choose to have healed and done miracles in one generation or, or one time period historically and that now he would therefore limit himself or restrict himself in one age in a way that he once worked in a prior age in power and miraculous ways. So I believe God wants to still heal. I believe he desires to still heal and that he has the power to still heal today even as he did in the days of the Old Testament and in the days of Jesus and as he does today in the present church. However, I do accept and understand too that God does not heal everybody. And God does not heal on earth every person right now. And why God heals some people on earth and why God does not heal other people, I have one answer to that. I don't know. I don't know. I have seen people prayed for, I have prayed for people together with other people and seen people healed. And there are lots of other people that I've seen prayed for continuously or I've prayed for together with other people and they weren't healed or they died. And I don't understand how God in his sovereignty works through those things. Look, however, at this manifestation of the spirit. Let's just try and understand it a little bit. He says to another gifts of healings. By the same Spirit. I want you to notice, if you would, with me, the plural there. And it is plural when you look at the original terms. It's not gift of healing, the implied thing there. I'm not trying to say that the Bible says that there is a gift of being a healer. He says there are gifts, plural, of healings that are given by the Spirit. I do not believe that the Bible teaches, and again, you're free to disagree, that God gives the gift of being a healer to people. As if somehow someone possesses the power to personally heal people at will whenever they want and whomever they want, and that they possess that as if sort of they could line people up if they wanted to and go down the line healing people at whim and sort of wielding if you would sort of their you know unique Power from God that they possess as a steward to just have a gift to heal whoever they want whenever they want does God use certain people more regularly maybe in this area of ministry yes I don't diminish that that there are some people that just seem to have an anointing from the Lord that God works by his spirit at times through their life Paul and Peter we do see that but I don't believe that God gives someone the possession of a gift of being a healer And I think it's somewhat unfortunate that there are some that claim that uh, and even make that as a foundation for, a, for for a ministry in some way. And and again, if someone possessed that gift, it's hard for me to reconcile while they would not go through hospitals and cancer wards and just begin in Jesus' name to use that gift for the profit of helping people to see their family members and children and loved ones healed, and so they're not wasting you know thousands of dollars on medical expenses and suffering through the pain and the grief of watching their loved ones die and suffer. That, that if they truly had the love of God and that actual power that they could yield at will, that they wouldn't do that. So, again, I, I believe what's being described here instead is that there are times when God grants gifts of healings to people. And he does it, certainly, through believers that he uses. For example, Paul the Apostle, obviously, we see in Scripture, operated in this gift at times. There were times when it seems that, that, that God just can you know sort of on a regular basis would work through Paul's life in this powerful way, and there are times in the book of Acts where we see the Spirit of God work through Paul in given situations and people were healed. Now that being said, when you study Scripture as a whole, we also see from the Bible that Paul did not and Paul could not heal anybody that he wished. For example, Paul himself describes how in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had a thorn in his flesh, a physical affliction, and he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he would take it away, and he didn't, he just said, Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. Again, if he had the gift to heal at will and at whim whenever he wanted to, why would you not heal yourself if you possessed that gift of all people? Again, Paul the Apostle with Timothy told Timothy Take a little wine for your stomach infirmity's sake. Again, who was Timothy? He was one of Paul's right-hand men in ministry. He was his protege. I'm sure Paul prayed for Timothy. I'm sure Paul asked God to heal Timothy and he probably laid hands on Timothy. But God didn't heal Timothy through Paul's prayers. So Paul said, I don't know why, but God's allowing this affliction to remain in your life. So, Timothy, best thing I can do is give you some wise counsel. Utilize some wine in a medicinal sense to help deal with some of the stomach infirmities that seem to be persistent in your life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says, Trophimus, I left in my is sick. What's Paul saying? I prayed for him, but God didn't heal him. Through my prayers, so I had to leave him behind. He was too sick to travel on with us to continue in ministry. And in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul speaks of Epaphroditus and how he was sick almost unto death. So again, God would many times heal through Paul, but Paul did not, as someone who experienced this gift and manifestation of the Spirit, Paul did not have the capacity to just heal whoever he wanted whenever he wanted. Again, I don't think the Bible shows us that this is something that we control. Like the other gifts described here in this list, this is something God has control over. So so again, what are these gifts of healings? I believe that they are special times and occasions when the Holy Spirit manifests himself by God graciously granting a healing to a person's body. Where on occasion, God by his choosing at his times grants a gift of a physical healing to to someone in need and he dispatches those gifts as one of the many good and perfect gifts that he at times gives from above healings in the sense of gifts that kindly distributed by god again they're unplanned they're unpredictable they're unexplainable if you want to define this i think it could be defined in this way a momentary supernatural prompting to confidently pray for or perhaps touch a person with a disease, a sickness, or deformity, or handicap, and the Lord responsively heals or removes that affliction from them. Again, not a possession of a powerful gift per se, it doesn't seem, but the dispersing of periodic gifts of healings on occasion that God will bestow upon people on this earth at times as he sees fit to, and I believe most often this comes clearly through things like believing prayer. Maybe you feel moved in your heart, you feel prompted in your heart, like we see Peter and Paul and those in the book of Acts. You just feel prompted in your heart to pray for someone because you feel a measure of faith in your heart that God wants to heal. And maybe you, hey, can I pray for you? Can, can I just ask that God, and 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 God may prompt A person to pray for someone, and then through that prayer, or prompt a few people to pray for someone, and through that prayer, healing comes. God gives a gift of healing if He sees fit on occasion. Another way this transpires, we see scripturally, is like what James chapter 5 says Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, that they might anoint him with oil and pray over him, laying hands upon the sick person and the prayer offered in faith, God says, will make the sick whole. So sometimes the person who themselves is sick or afflicted senses in their heart, I want to be open to God's healing. I think maybe God might want to heal me. So they request The elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, God lays out this way where sometimes he will heal by that capacity and and they ask the elders of the church, hey, would you anoint me with oil? Would you lay hands on me, pray on me? And sometimes those are occasions when these gifts of God's healings are given and dispatched in a gracious way where God may move through the believing prayer of one of his saints. Thirdly, let's look at the first part of verse 10. Paul also mentions here, verse 10, to another, 1 Corinthians twelve ten, to another the working of miracles. And again, I would hope it goes without saying, since I said what I did regarding healing, I don't believe this is talking about the gift of being a miracle worker, but I believe more rather the working of miracles at times. And let me just say as a side note, which I think is important with this, I do believe, because I see what the Bible says in relation to some of these things, that demonic spiritual beings can do miracles. That signs and wonders that we may see are not always necessarily from God himself. Again, you might want to jot in your notes 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9 and 10, where we read this, The coming of the lawless one, referring to the Antichrist, The coming of the lawless one is according, listen, to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the Bible says that there can be times when the working of Satan, a powerful supernatural being, Can accomplish signs and wonders and that's why we have to be cautious and this is why we need the discerning of the spirits as well because the Bible says test the spirits you know not all things necessarily are from God and certainly people have a capacity they want to chase signs and wonders and we need to realize that there could be signs and wonders and maybe even at times healings that could take place that necessarily aren't coming from God himself but another supernatural source. So, uh, let's define a miracle of God, having this in mind as we kind of briefly talk about this operation of the Spirit. Uh, I have This jotted down here is a, a definition of a miracle, uh, a miracle from God. A miracle is a supernatural intrusion into the natural world and its natural laws explainable only by divine intervention. An act of God that's contrary to the ordinary working and laws of nature, And an act that only he could accomplish by overruling nature that could not otherwise occur through any circumstances. So again, here you have this momentary supernatural empowerment or enablement from the Spirit of God that's supplied to a child of God to perform, let's say, a miracle in the way of, let's say, casting out a demon or in some way the exercise of God's power over the natural elements of creation in some form, like the previous manifestations. Again, the Spirit controls these things. They happen severally as He wills, through whom He wills, and how He wills. And as far as biblical examples, I'll I'll mention a few here in brief as we need to wrap up our time, but I don't think you need a lot of clarification as a logical thinking person When you read through the Bible and you read what's clearly spelled out there as a miracle in the scriptures. I think when you see miracles in the scriptures, it's pretty obvious you're looking at a miracle there. I don't think it takes a lot of definition again with Moses we see the working of miracles the bringing of the plagues or the parting of the red sea or uh, you know the striking the rock and water coming forth these are things that superseded created order where god worked outside of the created realm and in some way overruled uh, the laws of nature Joshua chapter 10 you see the working of miracles remember Joshua prayed during a battle and remember what happened? God made the sun stand still. That's the working of miracles through the prayer of a man who had, again, I think, a measure of faith. That's a pretty strong... God, can you make the sun stand still? (laughs) Sorry if it bothers everyone else or they get burnt laying on the beach for another hour or so, but I got a battle to finish here and this is your battle. I mean, that's a miracle of God, a, a, a superseding of creation. Elijah, we talked about earlier, prayed that it wouldn't rain. Uh, Elijah, his protege. 2 Kings chapter 4, remember Elijah was speaking to a widow who was concerned about provision and sustaining her family. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's that story where she says, look, all I have left is just this little bit of oil. And he says, look, go gather a bunch of jars. Gather as many jars as you can. And then remember, she started pouring, and, and the oil, it just kept reproducing and reproducing and reproducing. And then she took that oil and she went and sold it And got a great amount of wealth, which became provision for her family. Now, there's the working of miracles in this way. Often we think, wow, some sign or wonder. You know one of the ways God works miracles? It's called the miracle of provision. I'm sure none of you have ever needed that one before, right? Lord, all I got is just a little bit of oil left. This ain't going to make it very far. Well... God made a little bit of oil go a real long way for a single widowed lady who had no other source of income and the Bible I read says God changes not. So sometimes a miracle can be a miracle of provision where God sustains or God miraculously brings resources in a way where you go this is a miracle where where did this come from how did somebody know I needed help or where God works in some unusual way to miraculously sustain finances or provide for some need Elijah raised a child back from the dead he made an axe head float on one occasion again these are all miracles of God in Isaiah's day the sundial Went back a few ticks to prove that God's hand was involved. Jesus, we see, doing miracles, of course. The water turned into wine. Feeding 5,000, again, stretching resources way beyond what their capacity were. The calming of a storm. Uh, The casting out of a demon is a part of this manifestation i believe of the 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 working of the manifestation of the works of miracles listen to what happened in mark 9 let me read you verse 38 and 39 it says john answered to jesus saying teacher we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he doesn't follow us he's not part of our group and jesus said this listen to jesus's words regarding the casting out of a demon Jesus said don't forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. So another way the working of miracles may happen at times is when God works miraculously to drive a demonic spirit out of a person who may be possessed in a satanic way. That is a part of the working of miracles. Again we see Peter operating in the gift of miracles. Let's just look at one example in the book of Acts before we close. Turn to Acts 19. We'll close out our time here. We'll just read an occasion where, again, Peter at times, God did miracles through his life and ministry to confirm the word of God. And Paul the apostle on occasion, God at times would do unusual miracles through him. Acts 19 is just one of those occasions. Look at what it says. Acts 19 verse 11 And and look at the terms. Even now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Take notice of the first few words. Where did the miracles come from? Paul, the miracle worker. What does it say? God. God worked. And notice they were unusual miracles. I mean, this this wasn't something that was a pattern of every day. Well, we, we should let's. Hey i think i can do what paul's doing here let's get our sweaty handkerchiefs and start a sweaty handkerchief crusade and charge fifty dollars for people to come and and we'll give them our sweaty prayer cloths with our anointing sweat on them and 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 people will get healed and miracles will happen a signs and no god says no these were unusual miracles this isn't usual this was unusual god was working in unusual ways but look at the result Unusual miracles, verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases were leaving them and evil spirits were going out of people. It was just a point of contact where people were believing that that God's anointing and authority was involved. Verse 13, look, they tried to duplicate this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. And the evil spirit, this must have been eerie, answered and said, "Uh, Jesus, I know. (laughs) And Paul, I know. But who are you? (laughs) Who do you think you are? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was, this gets worse, look, leaped on them, (laughs) overpowered all seven of them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. (laughs) So the man possessed it. Who are you? I don't know who you are. And then in his demonic supernatural strength, he beats the pulp out of seven guys and sends them away with welts and no clothes on, ashamed. Verse 17, this became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Look at the result of miracles and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified you can't miss that when the gift of faith is at work when gifts of healings are being given by God through prayers of Christians who believe that God is a God who still heals. When working of miracles takes place, and God may so choose to do that, and he can still do that today, God does that, notice, that people's hearts would become reverent toward God and that Jesus would be lifted up that Jesus would be magnified. Again, why would God work a miracle? Why would God heal somebody at times to authenticate His person, to authenticate His promises and His power, and to authenticate and confirm maybe His word with the preaching of the gospel? And we have to remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, And it's important that we be open to the powerful work of God today and to believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if our hearts are pure, let us not be intimidated or let us not cast aside the fact that God still heals. God still wants to work in powerful, miraculous ways and he wants us to be open to the power of God that Jesus can be glorified and people's hearts can be stirred and say, wow, wow. God is real. God is awesome. God is amazing. Amen? Let's pray.